think about this. What goes on in our minds? What goes on in our minds? Yeah, there's lust, covetousness, or envy. There's hatred, lying, or a desire to harm someone. In a discussion of what goes on in our minds, we could examine pornography and its fallout. Then there are the things that we hide in our minds that no one knows about. Have you ever found yourself harboring bitterness against someone? Be honest. Don't just call it by a different name just to minimize it. I know I've done that. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Would you pray one more time with me, please? Father in heaven, we are grateful for your word. We're grateful for Jesus, for his sacrifice, and for the salvation that you have provided to us. We ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts and minds this morning. Father, get me out of the way that your people might hear your word. Help us to walk out of here encouraged this morning, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So, bitterness and reliving the evil that's done to us. <clears throat> um, you know, think about it. Is there anybody against whom you're harboring bitterness right now? Is there anybody? Are you reliving some horrible event from, the, from your past? You might say, no, I'm good. That horrible thing happened 20 years ago. It's not bothering me. That might not necessarily be true. If there's one thing that I've learned in my six decades here on earth is that we all experience the same kinds of things. Some seemingly experience these things more than other people do, but that's another subject matter. The fact of the matter is we all experience the same kinds of things in this life. We all experience the same kinds of temptation. Paul makes a point of that when he said, no temptation, that is, no enticement to sin has overtaken you that is not common to man. Everybody deals with the same things. God is faithful and he will not allow you to be tempted, will not get that, He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, he will provide a means of escape. He will provide an exit. He'll provide a means for you to get away from it that you may be able to endure it, that you may be able to bear up under it. So, for example, I understand from that verse that if I have issues battling with bitterness and reliving injustice done to me, it means you do too. And let me assure you, I do battle bitterness and reliving injustice. And at the same time, we have to remember that we cannot be driven by emotion. As believers, we cannot be driven by emotion as a result of experiencing evil at the hands of others. There's no way to exhaust this issue of bitterness and or reliving evil committed against us I would encourage you to think, though, think about bitterness and think about reliving the evil that has been committed against you. At the same time, understand that getting rid of bitterness is very, very different from forgiveness. They're two different animals. Bitterness and forgiveness are two 
different things. This morning, I would ask you to walk away thinking about bitterness and what God has to say about it. Allow, you to be, allow yourself to be stretched. Allow your thinking to be stretched. Now, all of us experience injustice. It's a, a, a violation of who we are at one time or another. And it may take the form of a physical attack, an emotional attack, a verbal attack. Um, it may take us by surprise, or we may see it coming a mile away. It can come at us from a spouse, a parent, a child, a co-worker, a supervisor, a fellow church member, or even somebody that we don't even know. We may think we didn't have that coming, or at the opposite end of the spectrum, we may think, well, they're just having a bad day. But people sin against us all the time, individually. We are not alone in suffering injustice. Think of the injustice suffered by the Lord Jesus Christ. He was plotted against, he was ridiculed, mocked, spit on, he was beaten, he was falsely accused, he was abandoned, he was betrayed, he went through an unjust trial, and he died for your sin and mine, the greatest injustice of all. How did he respond? Was he bitter? Peter tells us when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but he continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. Now, guilt is what we feel when we sin against God and somebody else. Bitterness, on the other hand, is what we can feel when others sin against us. I say can because it doesn't necessarily follow that we will be bitter if somebody sins against us. Bitterness looks to the action of another person. It is a smoldering resentment of that person. It's brooding, grudging, an unforgiving spirit. And all of us have the capability of harboring that at one time or another in our lives. It's something that takes place within us. It's a resentment against another person. Bitterness is having a heart that is hardened toward other people who may have sinned against us. A hardness of heart that will not release a past offense. A hardness of heart that will continue to play over and over in one's mind. And I remind you again, when I talk about releasing a past offense, I'm not talking about forgiveness. That's a totally different subject matter. Bitterness and forgiveness, two different animals. It's important to see that. The word bitterness has to do with deep-seated ill will towards someone else. It's down in the pit of our gut. That's someone against that someone who has sinned against us. And bitterness produces more bitterness. More? Yeah. Bitterness tends to accumulate. It tends to increase over time. The slower we are at dealing with and resolving bitterness in our hearts, the greater it becomes, the greater mountain it becomes in our lives. Unless there's a a resolution to it, bitterness does not go away with maturity, spiritual maturity. People get more bitter over the years. It just gets worse and worse. And finally, bitterness is most often involved with those that we are close to, those who mean something to us. That's been my primary experience. Now, if you know what I'm talking about, say amen. 
No, not very many. (laughs) Fact of the matter is, every single one of us deals with bitterness. Every single one of us. Someone sins against us, maybe even grievously. They're unrepentant. We stew, we simmer, we begin to boil. We think, he's a believer, she's a believer. They should know better. She should come and ask forgiveness from me. They think they can get away with this. How rude. We go on in our minds. I was right. They're wrong. I have a right to be upset. Wow. We do all of that. But know this. Allowing bitterness to fester in our hearts is nothing less than playing with fire. And if you want to get burned, let bitterness fester in your soul. Satan's desire is to divide and conquer, and bitterness moves that right along. And as if bitterness was not enough, we really must recognize that reliving the injustice committed against us is nothing short of sin against God. Believers are not immune to reliving injustice. As a result of the injustice done to us, as a result of the evil done to us, we want to hold on to the memories of what happened to us. That's just what we do as human beings. Why? Because we believe we have a right to do so. Bitterness is maintained by the memories of what happened between us and another person. We emphasize in our minds and to other people what's happened, how the other person sinned against us. But it's not really about what others have done against us when it comes to bitterness. When it comes to bitterness, it's about our action, our reaction to evil committed against us. That is our response to suffering. Bitterness has nothing to do with the person that sinned against us. It's our sin. We own it. When we replay the horrible events in our minds, we're allowing Satan to have a front row seat in our mind's eye. We're inviting that, that, that evil that was committed against us to come in and just take up residence within us. We allow, in effect, we allow the, the person who sinned against us to control us. This battle of mind games is a battle. No, it's a war. It's a war, a war we cannot lose no matter what. So you might ask, how can I tell if I'm bitter? Well, we can start by asking ourselves if any of the descriptors I mentioned a few minutes ago characterize our lives. That internal resentment, stewing, boiling, simmering. You know what I'm talking about. And I can give you one more descriptor. Bitterness remembers the details. In detail. Bitterness remembers the details in detail. If we are bitter, we will tend to do what we just talked about, reliving the experience over and over again. Why do we do this? In my experience, we seem to just think we have a right to do so. We just think we can because we can. So we review over and over and over ad nauseum the negative things that happen to us, especially the evil done to us verbally, physically, and emotionally. We zero in on who was right. We think, oh, I should have said this or I should have said that. I could have done this. I could have brought this up. I could have thrown that in his face. 
We be, or we begin to plot how we might get even. I know because I've all done all this and more. Have I plotted about how I could get even with someone? Oh, you betcha. You betcha. Doing this is going to lead to destruction. It's going to re- lead to destruction of our relationship with another person, destruction of our peace with God, destruction of peace with our family or within our family, and destruction of the joy that is ours in Christ. It has the potential to do that. Reliving all the negative experiences of the past will also cause us to defile other people that are around us. We'll talk about that in a minute. So what does Paul tell us to do with all this? Our text this morning is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Paul said, Let all bitterness, along with all wrath and anger and clamor and slander, be put away from you, along with all malice. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. We'll tear that apart in a minute. First, I want to point out one more thing, and that's this. We're at war. As believers, we are at war. And too often, we just ignore the fact that we deal with spiritual battles day in and day out. Too often, we just let them slide. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war. That is, we are not fighting according to the flesh. We are in a fight. He said, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. The war described here is a series of spiritual battles, each of which has a winner. We war against those things that are unseen, those things that we rely upon in place of Christ. We war against those things that are fortresses in our spiritual battles. That includes bitterness. Writing to the church at Ephesus, Paul said, for we do not wrestle, we do not struggle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The wrestling match Paul's describing here is a contest between two individuals or two entities in which one is trying to overthrow the other. It's a struggle that's decided when the winner is able to hold his opponent down by the neck. That's the, that's the picture Paul is giving us. And that battle that we are engaged in is a battle with evil. The evil we face, the evil we do battle with wants to defeat us. It wants to hold us down by our necks. And unfortunately, too often, we just surrender too early. We give up. We don't fight. Again, Paul, let all bitterness along with all anger and clamor and slander and wrath be put away from you along with all malice. Paul's telling us that if we have bitterness in our hearts, if we maintain that bitterness, and that bitterness can be, is, is, is something that we tend to cultivate, if we maintain that bitterness in our hearts, then we can expect wrath and, cl- and anger and clamor and slander and malice 
to result. All of these sins can have their beginning in bitterness. They don't necessarily, but if we're cultivating bitterness in our hearts, you can take it to the bank. There will be wrath and anger and clamor and slander and malice in our lives. Wrath. Wrath has to do with passion. Anger boiling up inside of us, and then we blow. We simmer. We sit here and we feed it. We push rewind and play in the, in the events in detail. We push rewind and play over and over again. We start simmering. We start boiling. We're stewing. And boom, we blow. And then we calm down. And then we do it all over again. It's that thing down deep in the pit of your gut that you need. I hope you know what I'm talking about. It's that feeling down deep. Anger is an agitation of the soul. It's, it's impulsive. It's blowing your cork without any simmering whatsoever. One little spark and kablooey, it's, 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 you, you blow up. And it's frequently something that would not normally set us off. But here comes this little thing, do, 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 and all of a sudden, boom! Why? Because we're cultivating bitterness in our hearts. We blow up at stupid things. Clamorous shouting, blowing one's gasket in public and in private. Slander, speaking disrespectfully of someone. Speech that causes injury to another person's good name. Now, we may think they don't have a good name, but that's what slander is. Trying to destroy who they are with our speech. And we do it because of the bitterness we have toward that individual. We don't have a right to speak ill about someone else. We don't. We sometimes take it on as a right, but we don't have it as a right. And finally, malice is any ill will that we have toward another person. It's any desire to injure another person in any way, also known as vengeance, getting even. It's a hard attitude that results from bitterness toward the person with whom we want to get even. And we can come up with all sorts of ways to get even, can't we? We can come up with all manner of means to, (laughs) I'll get mine. Paul says we're to put bitterness away, though. And we are to put it away violently as if we were fighting for our lives. That's how important it is to get rid of it. Putting it away means to remove it so that it no longer exists. Now, think about it. In the last week, month, year, 10 years, 20 years, somebody has sinned against you. Is that stewing inside you still 20 years later? It can. And for a lot of people, it does. It's still there. Talk to some folks after the first service, and they go, I don't know why I do that. It's still there 20 years later. Remember, we're at war, and failure to put it away will result in all sorts of damage, all sorts of injury. 
All of the things that result from bitterness are wicked and evil, and they result in nothing but trouble for us and those we are close to. Again, they have their beginning in bitterness. Now, earlier I pointed out we cannot be people who are driven by emotion. Now, that, this may sound harsh, but consider it anyway. When we allow emotion to drive us, we are demonstrating a failure to believe the truth of the word of God. When we allow emotion to drive us, we are demonstrating a failure to believe the truth of the word of God. John Piper said, quote, the battle against bitterness is a battle against unbelief. The war against bitterness is a battle to really believe what God has said. To really believe the truth of his word. What truth? Well, the truth that vengeance belongs to God. Do you believe that this morning? Do you really believe vengeance belongs to God? That it's not ours? It's not mine to seek vengeance against the guy that sinned grievously against me, made me so angry. Do you believe it? It's God, it belongs to God. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 30. He says, vengeance belongs to God. It's not ours. It's something we can hope in because there's never going to be any true justice here on this earth. But God's justice is true. God's justice is right, and God is a just God. And vengeance belongs to him, not to you and me. It is not ours to exact vengeance against someone, but God said he will take care of it. And the truth of the matter is, his justice will triumph. Our God, like I said, is a just God. Nothing escapes his notice. Another truth from the word of God that we tend to ignore when we allow bitterness to fester God is sovereign over all that happens in our lives. Nothing happens apart from his perfect plan and purpose. Now, I will give you that some things that we experience in this life are horrible, um, we seemingly unbearable. I didn't have that coming. I'm telling you, I understand that. I get that. And again, we're not talking about forgiveness. We're talking about bitterness. Bitterness is our sin. We own it. And it's hard to get our heads around some of the stuff that happens to us. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's hard to get our heads around some of that. But the fact of the matter is, God is sovereign. And nothing happens apart from his plan and purpose. Another truth, God's working all, hear that, all things together for the good of those who belong to him. He's at work in us and for us on our behalf. The truth that his grace is sufficient is another thing that we are likely to miss if we continue to cultivate bitterness in our hearts. His grace is sufficient for all circumstances in which we find ourselves. The truth of who we are as believers in Christ, think Romans 6. 
The truth that he is always with us, never forsakes us, is for us and is not against us. We sang about it this morning. When you were singing, did you really believe it? That he really is for you and not against you? But we'll ignore that if we allow bitterness to fester. Really believing these things, we will beat up bitterness. Yeah, we're in a hand-to-hand fight. We're in a hand-to-hand combat. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And if we believe these truths and the rest of the word of God, what he has to say about himself, what he has to say about Jesus, what Jesus has done, we can win the battle. Bitterness can be put away. God is not going to give his people a command that's not doable. Right? Notice I said believe. It's faith at work. It is God at work in our faith. And it's all done by grace. One more thing. And this is crucial to get. Remember that in the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul told us who we are in Christ and what God has done for us in Christ. He described what God has already accomplished in us. In the last three chapters, he outlines what it looks like to be that person. In chapter 4, verse 1, he says, I therefore, that is based on what I've told you about who and what you are in the first part of the letter, I therefore urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. We have not been called to do this in our own strength. We have not been called to um, self-improve, alter our behavior. God has already done the work. Look at Ephesians 1 through 3 when you get home. It'll blow your mind. What God has already done in and through us that thereby enables us to live out chapter 4, 5, and 6 of Ephesians, including chapter 4, verse 31. So, In 4.31, Paul describes, in part, the life lived out by the person described in the first three chapters. He's saying that if you're truly a believer, then this is how you will act, this is how you will behave, and this is how you will live. Again, not in our own strength. Jesus has already accomplished it. He perfectly fulfilled the law. And Paul outlines in the first three chapters of Ephesians exactly what that means for each of us as believers. And how is it we will be living? We will put away all wrath and anger and clamor and slander and malice, all of which can have their root in bitterness. Bitterness must be disposed of. Now, the Bible addresses the impact that bitterness, a bitter person, can can have on those around him. Um, And God in his word makes no bones about it. The writer of Hebrews cautions... He says, see to it, the you is implied, see to it, you see to it, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many are defiled. As a root, bitterness is something that may not be easily discernible. We, we all know that trees grow their roots down, but sometimes they have roots climb up to the surface, don't they? And then we'll go walking through a park or through our lawn, 
and a root that is, has surfaced is going to trip us up. Same way with bitterness. Same way with bitterness. Hidden beneath the surface, but it comes out in wrath and anger and clamor and slander and malice. It comes out and trips us up and trips other people up. A bitter root, a bitter root will produce bitter fruit. What is the fruit? Our lives. Our lives will show how bitter we really are. And that bitterness will defile people around us. The person who personifies a bitter root, the person who is constantly reliving the events of the past and is stewing, simmering, boiling, and spewing bitterness to those around him, this person will defile, he will poison, and he will prove to be a toxic influence to other people. He has the potential to pollute and ruin those in whose lives he has any standing, that is, any influence. He will tarnish, denigrate, contaminate, and soil the lives around him. And that's why the only thing to do is to root out the root. Uproot the basic underlying cause of the bitterness that drives the bitter person and get on our knees and confess it as sin. Up until 10 years ago, the only difficulties I had in this area had to do with a couple of uh, pagan supervisors that made life pretty difficult. They didn't know what to do with a person who did the right thing because it was the right thing to do, huh? Um, that was one thing. But then, between 2002 and 2007, a number of things occurred in our lives that made life right, downright miserable. I'll be honest. And much of it had to do with people I was close to, people that mattered to me. I've shared with you before how I've struggled with this very thing, reliving the awful experience, how I've wrestled with pushing rewind and play, rewind and play, over and over again with the headphones on, so nothing else gets in. All I hear is all this stuff that happened. I've done the whole, I could have said this, I could have said that, I could have done this, I could have done that, I could have thrown that in his face. I've done that whole thing. I've replayed the entire course of, of, of events in my mind, not only to my detriment, to the detriment of my family. Oh, in detail too. Remember I said bitterness remembers the details? In detail? Yeah, that would be me. Rewind play, headphones on, don't hear anything else coming in. Blocking everything else out. hard. I know. I get it. But God's not calling us to do something that he hasn't already equipped us to do and he hasn't already accomplished in Jesus. Thankfully, God's been renewing and reforming my faith over the course of the past 10 years. He who began a good work in me is bringing it to completion in preparation for the day of Christ Jesus. God has brought me to a different understanding of himself of his son, and a different understanding of his word. I read the account of a fellow who was going through this refining process. He and his wife got into it over some dumb thing, right? It's always a dumb thing, right? Amen? Yeah. And <clears throat> so they get into it, and she leaves the room. And he realizes, I got to go make things right. So he drops to his knees. And he prays and asks God's forgiveness, and he prays and asks God to help his wife forgive him. And he gets up, and as he's walking out, he's going, but she said blah, blah, blah. Right? We've all been there. 
So he dropped to his knees again and prayed. Got up to go out to his wife, repentant in his mind. Yeah, but she was wrong and I was right. Took him 45 minutes, he said, to get to a place where he was truly repentant and could ask biblical forgiveness of his wife. I'm thinking that's where most of us fail. We're not willing to do the hard work of imploring the God of the universe to change our hearts, to resolve the bitterness in our hearts. We want a quick fix instead, and we seem to think it's up to us. So we just choose to move on. Got to tell you, I hate that term, move on, because it's just a cop-out. We choose to move on, and we leave it behind us, so we think. Fact of the matter is, it's down deep inside. And by allowing it to stay there, we're cultivating, getting the weeds out, feeding it, watering it, so that it just starts growing and festering inside of us. Sometimes we seem to be okay just living with it. I know that's where I fail. I also know that's where God's at work in my life. I truly wish I could tell you, it's all better, everything's good. But it takes time, it's a process, and any process worth anything, any process that's going to be effective takes time. That process is called sanctification, and guess what? It's lifelong. Sanctification is a lifelong process of God working in our lives. Our sanctification in this area, like all areas of our lives, is a progression that takes place. It doesn't happen overnight. But remember, it is God at work in you and me. He is at work. He doesn't slumber. He doesn't ignore. He is constantly at work in the life of of each of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing we do for self-improvement will accomplish anything. Why? Because the gospel of self-improvement, the gospel of behavior modification is a false gospel. Again, it's God at work in us, not us. God is at work. So what might all that look like? I mean, God at work in us. Paul said to get rid of all bitterness. Before we begin discussing the how this is accomplished, we've already talked about the why, It's crucial to realize that the basis for all of our actions in this regard must, the basis must be in what Jesus Christ has accomplished on our behalf on the cross. We do not get rid of bitterness of our own accord. We do not wave a magic wand and say, disappear. We don't pronounce it gone. It's something that God does in us. It is something he accomplishes, and it does not matter, and it is not contingent upon any action, if there is any, of the person who offended us. Getting rid of bitterness in our hearts has nothing to do with that other person that committed the sin against us, the evil against us. It's got nothing to do with it. Bitterness is our own. The only way is to confess it as sin for which Christ died. Remember, as Jesus said, it is finished. Well, when he said that, he meant it. 
If we have any hope of ridding ourselves of bitterness, we must admit that it is sin. It is evil. Admit that it is unbelief. Admit that it will defile those around us. And admit that bitterness is my sin, not the sin of the other person. It's ours. My sin and not the sin of the other person? But they're the cause of it. All that is is finger-pointing. Bitterness is my sin. It's your sin. It is our response to the evil committed against us. Look again at what Paul said. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from who? You. Along with all malice. The command regarding bitterness has to do with each of us individually. Paul said, you. Put away from you. We are not charged with putting these things away from someone else but from ourselves. And we can do this because of what God has already done in us as believers. What is it specifically that he's done? (laughs) He's blessed us, chosen us, predestined us, redeemed us, forgiven us, and sealed us. And that's just a quick pick from the first 11 verses of chapter 1 of Ephesians. Because of what he has done, we can put bitterness away by faith. Faith in the truths that I mentioned a minute ago. We can deal with bitterness because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. We're not being commanded to, do, commanded to do something that will get God to adopt us. We're not being commanded to do something to earn his favor or to be in his good graces. We're not commanded to do something in our own power or our own strength. We're commanded to live like those who know that they know that they are already sons and daughters of the living God. And we're able to do that because of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. When people do evil to us, we need to remember that God loves us, he's chosen us, and that the evil done to us will make our faith much deeper and make us more holy. I get it. There are some things that you think, there's no way that can make me more holy. There's no way that can make my faith more deep. But that's God's purpose. That's God's purpose. Horrible things have been done to people in this room. Horrible things. But bitterness does not do us or anybody around us any good. And I'm going to reiterate again, there's a difference between getting rid of bitterness and forgiveness, biblical forgiveness. So instead of being bitter toward the the evildoer, we thank God that he is at work in our lives. You and I must trust that God is at work in us and for us for our good. That he's going to accomplish his purposes in our lives. Now when Dan preached on 1 Samuel 24, David was hiding in the cave several weeks ago. He pointed out that believers are to show mercy, speak truth with respect, and demonstrate kindness. God actually gave my wife and I an opportunity to do just that a while back. And believe it or not, we actually put ourselves in a situation, we had a reason, put ourselves in a situation where we would more than likely encounter an individual that had committed a grievous offense against our family. We could have been doing the rewind, play, rewind, play, rewind, play, with the earphones on. But God... 
enabled us by his mercy, by his kindness, to show that individual when we did run into that individual mercy, respect, and kindness. God is so very faithful. Not only that, but Romans 8.28 assures us that God is at work in our lives. He takes all the circumstances and all the situations in the life of the believer and sovereignly works them all together for our good. In his providence, he works in our lives through our circumstances to free us from bitterness. God wants to do that in our lives this morning. Free us from bitterness. We must remember that our sin causes us to look at ourselves, whereas the gospel causes us to look away from ourselves and to those around us. Who do you want to be looking at? Do you want to be having that that bitterness festering and simmering and stewing and, and boiling and eventually erupting? Or do you want to be able to look to a pagan that you work with and tell them about Jesus? Again, I would remind you there's no way to exhaust this subject matter in one sermon. Bitterness and reliving the evil committed against us. And again, there are major differences between bitterness and biblical forgiveness. Between bitterness and having a willingness to forgive if biblical standards are met. So we must ask, what's the proper response to bitterness? I would suggest six things to consider, and I would encourage you as I, as I list them to allow the Holy Spirit to work right now. If any of these things, and of course there's a million things that we could talk about, but if any of these resonate with you, in a few minutes, spend time talking to God about it and continue talking to him about it. Be like the guy that stayed on his knees 45 minutes or ever, however long it's necessary, not the one that just pops up after a two-minute quick prayer. If one of them resonates, grab it. Deal with it. Number one, focus on and look to Jesus Christ, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith. Fix your eyes on him alone. Don't be looking around at people around you. Don't be looking around at, at other people's circumstances. If you've got to deal with bitterness, that's just between you and God, between me and God. Focus on Jesus and what he's done, what he's already accomplished. My goodness, Paul's letters just resonate with all sorts of things that God's already done in the beginning of each of his letters. All the things that that God has done. And it's there for us. And that leads me to the second point. Focus on his word. Our... Our help comes from nowhere else but the Lord. Nowhere else. If you're looking to some other person to provide the help that you need, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to miss out. Look to to Jesus and look to his word. Anybody that's ever been in combat, hand-to-hand, firefight, doesn't matter, 
they will tell you that the time to study tactics and the time to get ready is not on the battlefield in the midst of a battle. We are at war. This, this is our tactical manual right here. Study it. Dig into it. Because God has given us everything we need in the revelation of himself. Number three. Oh, oh no, yeah, number three. Listen to wise counsel. It's important to ask questions of and guidance of those who are walking with Christ, those who will give it to us straight, not tell us what they think we want to hear. Somebody gives you what they think you want to hear, then you need to find somebody else to talk to. Wise counsel is extremely beneficial. That situation that I told you about where my wife and I intentionally put ourselves in a difficult place, prior to that, we sought counsel, wise counsel, from a couple individuals. They didn't tell us what we wanted to hear, what they thought we wanted to hear. They gave it to us straight. We implemented that wise counsel, and God honored it. God, in his mercy and his kindness, enabled us to deal with that individual when we ran into that individual. Number four, pray, giving thanks for all that comes to your life, recognizing and acknowledging that God is at work in you. You know, this whole idea of thanking God for all that comes to our lives it can be a, an extremely difficult thing to do, especially when it's a heinous event that takes place. I'll give you that. I know, I've been there. But God wants us to thank him for all the circumstances in our lives. Why? Because he is at work in us. He is molding and shaping us, perfecting us, um, enabling us to become more like Christ. And isn't that our goal, to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ? I'm not saying it's easy. But I am saying it's something we need to do. Number five, believe that vengeance belongs to God alone and he will repay. God calls us to hope in that. What? Yeah, God calls us to hope in that. Because a, vengeance. Our vengeance is never going to be the same as God's vengeance. Why? Because we're not just. God is absolutely just. And the Bible says that vengeance belongs to him and to him alone. Not to us. So whatever we might do to, to exact vengeance is going to fall far short of what God's going to do. And the Bible tells us that it belongs to God, and we can hope in that. And it takes such a weight off of our shoulders. So much of my time in past years has been spent. How can I get even? Seriously. And it's a waste. It's a waste. Believe that vengeance belongs to God alone. And he will repay. And remember, number six, remember it is finished. Jesus has accomplished 
everything on our behalf. When he said it is finished, that's exactly what he meant. There's nothing more for us to do. The focus of our lives must not be on our work, but his work. Not on our holiness, but his holiness. Not on our performance, but his performance. Therefore, Paul says, put away all bitterness. If any of those six things resonated with you, I would invite you right now to talk to the Lord about them. Focus on Christ. Focus on his word. Listen to wise counsel. Pray. Believe. I mean, really believe that vengeance belongs to God. And remember, it is finished. Would you pray?